six championships in eight years. We were the greatest team ever. What time is that? I'm going to ridicule you until you get on the same level with me. You're making a free run of me. It was his team. My mentality was to go out and win at any cost. What's up, everybody? It's another edition of Free Association on the Sports Bet Podcast Network. I am J.D. Bunkus, and I am joined by Donovan Bennett, who this was your first Mother's Day as a husband, correct? Or no, we're real close here. I I think your son is maybe one or very close to one. But how was your Mother's Day experience as a new father, sir? Uh, it was my second, second Mother's sorry. Day as the husband of a mother and i would say this one is an appreciation for understanding everything that goes into being a mother since i've seen it up close and personal thanks to our friend covid19 um <laughs> the the last one was more of a celebration of the fact that my wife was a mother because yeah. it was it was pretty new although i would say that as soon as women get pregnant their mothers like you're already bearing a burden that's not fair so she's probably been a mother for you know two years not just one but this one was more of the culmination and celebration of got through mat leave got through the first year and you really know uh what the hard part of being a mother is i mean it's all hard the stresses i'm sure are different as the ages change but the first year is like the first seven years of Jordan with the Bulls when they were, you know, getting beat by the Pistons and the Celtics and weren't <laughs> sniffing a, a championship. That's what uh, the toddler years are like. Hey, what about the challenges of just being a husband on a Mother's Day when you are in lockdown? It's like it's not like you can take your wife out for a romantic dinner. Did Chef Donovan make an appearance? What are we looking at in terms of the arsenal here? No, Chef Donovan did not make an appearance. Because uh, that would not be a gift. Uh, we ordered. <laughs> okay, food. there we go. Hey, order ordering Chef Donovan as an order works too, man. Be sure to support local. We 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 need to support small businesses. Uh, over fifty percent of small businesses may not exist in six months. So we did our our part and ordered local and got on the app. Shout out DoorDash, the kind sponsor of the Sportsnet watch parties. Um, get a Dash Pass. But uh, no, I, I listen, I got flowers. I ordered some breakfast uh, and some dinner. And then I took my son on a social distance tour of the GTA for him to say hi to the many mothers in my family from, mm -hmm. from afar. Uh, but no, I did not cook, nor will I. I love that. Like, I'm a huge takeout guy. And I love that now we're living in a world where if I get takeout, it's not me being lazy anymore. It's me being a philanthropist for small businesses, right? If I ask for a takeout from a local spot, I'm doing, I'm doing the Lord's work now. Well, so here's the thing, and I'm not saying that this is good for the service industry at all, because there are many people who work in the not. service industry who are not working. However... I do believe, and if you own a restaurant or a small business, maybe you can tweet at me and correct me or maybe co-sign. I do believe there are some restaurants, some select chains that are doing very well right now. Because if you think about it, you break down the restaurant math, the economics of how a restaurant works. Part of the mm -hmm. experience is you're coming in, you're setting up shop. If you're at a sports bar, you're watching the game. That could be you know, two, three hours. If you're at a restaurant, you know, you're there for, let's say, 45 minutes to an hour and a half. You don't, you don't want to be the spot that's rushing people out, out of their table to get new people in. And so the cost of the food is the same. The cost to, to make it is the same. But there's a limit on how much you can bring in because you can only bring in so many people into your establishment at a time. Their meal's not going up the longer they stay in that seat. But now, if you are efficient, you could be getting Uber Eats out and DoorDashes out and takeout uh, walk-ups out as fast as you humanly can if there's enough demand. So I just think the margins, they may not be making as high of a sum because people aren't buying alcohol the same way from restaurants and that's where they really make a lot of money. But your costs are certainly lower. Your ability to hit up clients is much more frequent. And I just wonder if some of the math, not all, but some establishments, I think, are quietly doing well this quarter. That's just, that's just my, so. my, my thought. I hope so as well. 
I, I really do hope so. And yeah, it is a reminder that, hey, if you can support your favorite restaurant, if you can support your favorite pub with the odd takeout order, uh, if you do have the means, uh, please do it. Um, please make sure that you add those spots. I try to keep my favorite places in the rotation. It is important. And I, I just want to do, I want to summarize one quick Mother's Day thought. And and just that is, uh, and, and because we are going to talk about the last dance and we are, uh, we, we saw a very powerful display of Michael Jordan's relationship with his father and just uh, the impact that parents can have. And I, I think that I would just like to say quickly that thank you to my mom for everything that she's ever done for me. And Mother's Day, I just I find is such an important day not to just, you know, send out the one picture of your mom. That's very nice. But just to reflect on the things that our mothers have done for us and that, uh, you know, our our wives and people that um, uh, that do have children and, and the things that they have done. And I just know my mom, I wouldn't be here obviously, if not for her, but I mean, I wouldn't be in sports media if not for her. When I finished university, I had a really tough time knowing what my next step was going to be. I really had thought I was going to go to law school my entire life. It had been my goal, my mission since I was a kid. And I just, I wasn't ready to keep doing school. I knew I was going to fail. And I just, I wasn't ready for more of that. And I always had a passion for sports and it was my mom. It was my mom who backed me and, and found a sports journalism program and pushed me past my reservations when it came to, well, that's for former athletes and that's for people who are broadcasters and that's for people who aren't me. And her belief in me fueled me to do this. And I just, I'll never be able to properly appreciate all the things that she's done for me. But man, the the love of a mother and the support of a mother, I just, I don't think it's paralleled with anything else. And so thank you to all the moms out there. Thank you to all the associates who are moms. And I hope that all the associates uh, do take some time uh, over this period to just, yeah, be grateful. Be grateful for the things that uh, your mom has done for you. There's a saying, and I I strongly believe it's true, and it is a mother is only as happy as her least happy child. And I, I think that is a great example how selfless mothers often are. And uh, I also, I, I've, I'm trying to balance being a a dad and an employee, I, I can't imagine in our industry how all-consuming it is, balancing being a mom and working in our industry. So to the ones who I see do it on a daily basis, Hazel May, Carly Agro, Ivanka Osmak, Martin Guyard, and, and many, many others who work with us at Sportsnet behind the camera, um, it's just crazy to think that often moms carry most of the burden, both in time but also emotion at the home but also to be able to carry careers that have a huge burden as well uh hat tip to to all the moms working in our industry as well thank you moms uh now on to the basketball so speaking of challenges that our mothers face adam silver has a conference call on friday and he describes the nba's move forward as quote this could turn out to be the single greatest challenge of our lives many things were brought up over the conference call you are, of course, doing the excellent Sports on Pause podcast with Richard Deitch, which uh, I implore people to go subscribe to, to go and download and, and listen to, because it's a, it's a very, very thoughtful exploration of, of where we are in the, in the world of sports. And Silver went over a very, very honest and open conversation about what it's going to take for the NBA to return. He discussed the potential for hub cities. He discussed testing. He discussed players and the level of comfort, staying in hotels, um, being isolated, all revenues um, potentially dropping as much as 40% is the thing that he was quoted as. Donovan, reading over this conference call and researching everything that Adam Silver had said to his players, is there one thing in particular that that stuck out to you? Uh, that a biosphere quarantine bubble type scenario, I guess is necessary, if not likely um michelle roberts said at one point i believe um that the and, and adam silver echoed this that you know if there aren't going to be any fans in the stands what is the point of putting people at additional risk by putting them in airplanes and flying them all across the country and at its face it kind of makes sense because the whole point of having teams in different markets is for the local fan bases to come out and support them. And if they aren't able to do that, you might as well just play the entire 
season on like a soundstage in LA somewhere. Like it, it really doesn't matter if it's it, where it is or if it's actually even in an arena. So um, that to me, uh, I found very interesting because one of the barriers to clear in terms of getting players on board is, okay, but guess what? You're going to have to leave your family for a couple months or are you bringing your family and thus that increases the number of tests that you need, that increases the amount of people that are in the bubble and thus the level of exposure. So once I heard that games actually in those specific markets um, is pretty much a non-starter, then I started to have a bunch more questions on what a potential return to basketball might look like and how far we probably are from it. Yeah, I had the same thought just about the the hub cities because in Major League Baseball's proposal to return, which is going to be uh, voted on at least or, or given to the players by very close to when this podcast will go up. It'll be Tuesday. We're recording this on Monday. Uh, the plan is very much to have teams in their home ballparks and to try to limit travel by having divisions. Obviously, you can't do that with a playoff format. It's a different challenge for the NBA, but also they don't have to go through an 80 game regular season. We're not looking at f- like five months here. We're looking at two and whatever the, the the players have a tough decision in front of them, right? This is not a, a linear or an easy decision for them to make. And you're right. The family question is going to be a big one because yes, it involves more tests. It involves more people. It assumes greater risk, but it also is hard for me to imagine players being willing to go two months or the majority of players being willing to go two months without seeing their family members. Hub cities to me seem like they were becoming more and more of a stretch. But the way that Silver outlined it, I, I think it's it's basically the only pathway forward as for now. Of course, things could change. But based on his conference call and the honesty that he expressed, it really does feel like the biggest decision for guys is going to come back or going to come down to that. Because they are only going to operate in cities where there is enough testing for frontline healthcare workers. Adam Silver said they are not going to take the tests out of the, the hands of needy people. But that is a big change in wording from access to the entire public or that it is just for frontline healthcare workers. Like that is a make no bones about it. That's a changing of the bar. But it's hub cities or bust to me. I, it, it really feels that way. And if the players are willing to do that, it was interesting that, you know, we're going to talk about Last Dance, uh, episode seven and eight, how they're showing the Jordan facility, the, the dome they built for Space Jam and how. We're looking at potentially a similar model right now where there could be other courts that are just built uh, over the course of uh, a week or uh, a short period of time where they just have to mobilize things for cameras, for sound, for look. This is kind of what's in front of us right now is that the NBA likely will not be played in these facilities. And what is the line going to be in terms of family members? Can you bring a girlfriend you've been seeing for three months? Can your cousin come? Can your brother come? Will it just be immediate family? Will it just be, you know, your wife and your children? Can it be your mother? There's there's a lot of questions about what that would actually entail if there is a hub city. And I, I think based on what I'm reading, and this is just, you know, my my guess is that the next thing that we will come to is exactly what those parameters are for hub cities that players will want to know exactly who they can bring and how they will be taken care of. Because as Adam Silver said, the goal is not to just have them locked up in their hotel rooms by themselves for two months, nor do I think players would go for that if that was even the pitch. Yeah, I mean, they might not go for it, but they also might not have a choice, right? Like there's only so many ways you can do this if you want the season to culminate. And I'm sure among the players that's somewhat split, what's not split is that they want their checks. Mm -hmm. And Adam Silver was very frank about the financial hurdles that the league is facing, that the CBA was not built for a pandemic and that 40% of the revenue comes from people being in the stands. So you need to try and recoup the the TV money that you're also losing. If not, maybe put dent in some of the 40% that you're going to lose with um, people not being in in attendance. So this will be interesting. One of the things that Kyrie Irving and Chris Paul, who our co-heads of the uh, of the PA, which was just kind of ironic because I'm not sure they are individually the most liked players, but here we are, uh, was that they were afraid of players being pressured into coming back to practice facilities uh, before they felt comfortable. And you're going to have a situation where 
if someone is not comfortable coming back, what are you going to do? Do you get roster relief? Do you get to bring in someone from your G League organization or someone off the street or a player who's playing in China who doesn't want to go back to China? And if someone says, okay, I'll come, but I don't give you permission to check my temperature or I don't give you permission to give me a vaccine if and when we have a vaccine. HIPAA laws say that you can't discriminate against that person, but yet every scientist in North America would say that that person is putting the entire operation at risk. How do you navigate those things? That's really, really, really tough. Yeah, I will imagine there are going to be players who do not have a high comfort level with whatever it is that happens. And it's going to be as it is for many of us when we have to return to work. Without a vaccine, there is not going to be a perfect solution. That it is about risk mitigation and what you are willing to accept. And, and I think that is at the heart of, of the conversation when it comes to Adam Silver. My, my hope is, is that they can do this as safely as possible, that we can see NBA basketball and that a hub city can operate in some fashion. But yes, it's it's still going to be a complicated conversation for a lot of players. Uh, they're they're going to have to ask themselves some tough questions because, yeah, you're right. It's paychecks, but it's also career longevity. Like these are real things, man. LeBron James is is getting long in the tooth. Who knows if he's going to be able to have another opportunity like this where he is still in his post prime. You, you don't know what a, a year can do for you. We always say the father time is undefeated for a reason that eventually there is just this drop-off point. And right now, LeBron James is still one of the most dominant players on the planet. And I think his impetus to come back is probably pretty strong. Even a guy like Kawhi Leonard probably has to look at it and say, well, I'm with Paul George and we're on a two-year contract. And the two of us are here in LA to win now. Are we really going to sacrifice one of these years? Or am I sure that his shoulder can hold up or that my lower body is not going to suffer something moving forward? And the other part is just that there's no guarantees that things are going to change in, say, December, November, wherever they would ever look forward to the season. So I'm optimistic. I, I try to be optimistic with this stuff by nature. It just it, it remains to be so complex, especially the way that you see uh, Adam Silver lay it out. Do you have any other thoughts on this or, or do you want to share some thoughts about uh, Last Dance? My final thought on this is this. And whenever there's like a small piece of news in terms of name your favorite league returning everyone's like okay let's go i'm gonna i'm gonna start setting my fantasy roster it's just around the corner mm -hmm. the nba shut down on march 12th this podcast was released on may 12th we have just got to monday may 11th when the raptors went back to ovo center we just got the ability for players to come into the facility with their own clothes that they're laundering have one ball that they can touch, not in, in the case of the Raptors, not have any other player in the facility with them, have to give up their phone and keys to have them disinfected upon arrival, allowed to have one coach with them, not their head coach, who basically has to wear gloves and a hazmat suit just to rebound for them. In two months, that's where we've gotten. So think about how close we need to get back to being able to have a coach and a player closer than 12 feet apart and having more than one player in a facility at the same time then scrimmages then getting everyone back on the same page and giving them a, you know something like a month worth of training camp and figuring out all of the cba issues that you've just explained so i, I think we had a bet i can't remember if we talked about it on mic or off because awesome. the conversations bleed together on whether or not there would be basketball back in the july and i said i would that's a hard no. I was willing to bet a G, uh, and 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 you. Were, were I don't have a G just for the bet. audience. I don't, I don't have that uh, money. I'm not Donovan Bennett rich. Well, if you're if you're that if you're that confident, you don't, you you don't need it. You'll you'll get that money by making the bet. Um, scared money don't make no money. Um, it's going to be a while. Is basically what I'm saying. All of this stuff takes time. Drafting legal documents and getting insurance for this stuff is going to take time. So um, it's nice that, you know, the governor of Georgia doesn't really care what Anthony Fauci thinks. And you can go to a movie in Georgia and go get a mani-pedi because those are the things that we need right now. And thus the rest of the basketball world, you can get a tattoo. Yeah, you can get a tattoo because people are worried about being inked up right now. Um, and so the rest of the basketball world is kind of following suit and is in line and people are starting to practice. But also the Dallas Mavericks who are allowed to practice. Are not because Mark Cuban's like, yeah, no, this is this is not safe. So it's 
just settle in, get comfortable. It's it's a good progression, but it's still going to be a long one. I it, it I think a really fascinating thing with this is going to be the the different perspective of owners because I think that there are going to be very, very different opinions among ownership as to the way to proceed for the NBA as well. Like, yeah, you did see the difference between a guy like Mark Cuban, who's like, no, nothing yet. And a definitely a more progressive guy that I don't think has ruled out politics in his future that is going to be very, very aware of public sentiment and public pressures versus maybe some older owners that are much more concerned with just making sure that their their product is back and and trying to mitigate some losses that I I don't know if there's going to be as much dissent among the players to be honest I think that for the most part guys want to come back and play playoff basketball that they're compa- they're they're built this way they're competitors they're watching the last dance they they want to they're hungry to get back on the court uh it's part of the reason why they opened up some of these facilities in the first place because they know guys are going to start sneaking out and doing workouts on their own Sam Amick has already said that some guys are doing that. Uh, I just, I, I think the ownership thing is going to be fascinating. Um, in the spirit of Michael Jordan, August, I'll take mid-August as my starting point. As August 15th, over under the NBA returns, I will say under that the NBA is back before August 15th. That is my bold proclamation as of today. Over. As in, it'll be later than August 15th. Correct. Okay, good. All right, we're on record. If at all. Okay. Okay. If at all, you're still in the if at all camp. I was going to say, I feel a little bit more emboldened that, that it will return. I, I think that, yeah, LeBron James is going to carry a lot of weight. I think that Adam Silver is a very upfront and honest commissioner. And that, yeah, what you will see is the return of Major League Baseball that we've already saw a blueprint a little bit with the UFC, uh, that Bundesliga, other sports leagues around the globe are going to come back and that August 15th. So I will take the before August 15th. Uh, I will not put a G on it, but I am willing to put a little wager. Uh, I am willing to put a little wager down on that. Name your name your price. I like free money. Oh, let's let's I, I'll say hundred bucks. Hundred bucks says sure, that done. that the NBA is back before August fifteenth. Um, yeah, send send that email transfer. Listen, yeah. uh, here's <laughs> here's the thing. So August fifteenth, yeah. right? So tip off August fifteenth. Great. You know we're gonna, got Labor Day. And we're watching basketball. Yeah. So basically, they got to be ready for training camp to start mid-july correct yep so basically we're now Mm mid-may so between may to june and june to july two months we have to get from serge abaca is shooting and barely donaldson is in a nassau suit to uh guys are ready for five on five in in two months yep all right i mean we're gonna see major league baseball players likely return i hope you're right i hope you're right like the UFC just threw an event that basically went off without a hitch. Like you're going to have guys. I think the biggest question to me is like guys are going to show up the exact same way as they did in the UFC. If you bring in a bunch of numbers, if you bring in guys in, in that grade of quantity, players and their families, you're going to have some positive tests. And then what happens, though, in terms of uh, being able to delay something or whether or not it's going to to be able to operate? And what happens if the league has a game where someone tests positive going into it and it is a star player? Those those are the biggest questions to me when it comes to like being ironed out. But yeah, we're seeing we're seeing Bundesliga return. We're seeing the Premier League return. We're seeing the UFC is is back. Well, we're in seeing action. Bundesliga try to return. Yep, you're right. It, hey, listen, you're right. But it could be having derailed. some struggles. Yeah, it could be derailed. But uh, as of right now, we're we're seeing at least some precedent that that these leagues are moving forward. And it's and it's hard for me to imagine that the NBA is is the only league that ends up, you know, not not actually making this happen based on, you know, what we're seeing right now. I will say though, the UFC comp is is real because they're they just had an event yep. other than one uh, fighter with a positive test. It went off without a hitch, but the liability for the UFC is for 3 hours for one night. You have mm-hmm. to have X amount of fighters that are okay. You got to get them through that period and hope that nothing happens. Then as soon as the event is over or theoretically for two weeks after the event is over because they could show symptoms afterwards as soon as that period is over you're in the clear and then you can Mm -hmm. cycle in a different patch of fighters assuming they're healthy the nba has the same pool of players playing against each other time after time after time after time after time so it's just a bigger logistical nightmare in terms of liability for the nba to have this league with all the same players playing against each other and rubbing up against each other 
week after week after week, day after day after day, than it is the UFC who's literally just like, let's just get through this night and get all the money and then peace out for a couple of weeks and try and do it again with different people. Yeah, I'm not so fascinated by the UFC having one night where they have success. They have three cards and I believe 12 days. Maybe it's less. Actually, no, it's definitely less than that. I think it's eight days, three cards in eight days. What happens after those three cards? two weeks after those three cards as they head into their next one, their next big event. Like, how are those all going to go off? Because yeah, now you are involving more bodies, more people. And while they are one-offs and they're not living in hub cities, just, you know, what is the fallout from that? I, I think it's going to be interesting. You know that leagues are already talking to the UFC about it and what they've done. It just, I, I do think that the more successful products that come out, the less the public pressure will be against these leagues returning. The more that you see, yes, if a Bundesliga does get off the ground and it does have success, if the UFC does continue to have success, I actually think it starts to put pressure more on the NBA to return rather than the opposite way, which is right now, I think it's still in more of a um, cautious outlook from the majority of the fans as, as of today. Do you think that's the case? Like more fans than not right now are like, slow it down, don't worry, take your time. But if it does shift where, you know, you've got five or six leagues that are operating well, don't you think that pressure will ramp up? I mean, I, I don't know if people are saying slow it down right now. They want they want their sports. And For least, sure. That's what I, I see just mean. The like they're not the being mentions. demanding and angry. Oh, do you see those? Oh, I, I don't see that as much. But I'm also not on Twitter as much these days. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of the economy needs to start up again, get back to work. And uh, my stance has been like, great. Norm Powell shooting 18 footers by himself is not restarting the economy like we're yeah. still far from the league coming back so <laughs> players getting shots up in the ovo center is not helping anybody other than that individual player um i i, I get even even soccer in the bundesliga even if they they get back or premiership if they get back like that's one to two games a week right like i just think it's 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 different than the nba who's gonna try and and jam in you know, the remaining 259 games that they have in the regular season plus playoffs. Um, so we shall see. It, this is it, like many of the people who are leading the charge for the PPE are saying, listen, I hope I'm alarmist. I hope I'm wrong. I, I, I hope this goes very clean and everything's back to normal and everyone screams and says, yeah, you were making a big deal and there's nothing to worry about. And that would mean that, yeah, like everyone did their job. And I, I hope I'm the same. I hope that this is the ends up being the coldest take of all time and that basketball comes back sooner than anyone expects and there are no issues. And when we get through this as a, as a league, as a, a sports community and as society, um, but I, I'm just a little bit more pessimistic. What I'm curious about now is that um, I know you love your money and I know you'd love the NBA to come back because, yeah, you love basketball and it's our livelihood. We got into this because of our love for the game and our love for sports. But you're just you do not want to be wrong to me, like which I, I'm curious as we get closer and closer to this thing, if you're just kind of like hoping Hey man, I want the NBA to return August 16th. Like that is that is your drop day that you would love nothing more for the NBA to start that day. Well, listen, if it was <laughs> real money on the line, then that would be the case. If you no. were putting up a G, but like a hundred dollars. <laughs> listen, I I if the NBA comes back, that actually is better for my full-time employment and sure. security moving forward. So I'm not sweating okay. the hundred dollars. All right. I, I, All right. I'm if it was if it was a G note, then that that would be a different story. <laughs> Then every day I, I would I would wake up and, and check my my notifications and when I didn't see a tweet from Woj or Shams I'd be like okay yeah. one step closer <laughs> marking Dude. the days on my calendar spending that money before I got it I I would love to see the conversation if you bet the grand of because a hundred dollars you don't have to tell your wife if you send it to me but a grand like she's gonna notice that from the account you know what I mean like you're gonna have to have that real conversation with her she's like ah. Uh, uh, dear, where is the thousand dollars from? What did you do? Did you did you buy me something nice? It's like no, I uh, I bet with JD a thousand dollars that the NBA would not return. I think you'd sleep on the couch that night. I'm pretty sure you'd sleep on the couch. Well, my wife is much more fiscally responsible and fiscally <laughs> conservative than I am, but I actually run the finances in our house. So listen, she wouldn't know. I'm, 
I'm 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 Marty Byrne, right? This is Ozarks okay. over here. I could clean that money. Which you t- all you have to do, all you have to do is is and this is for the associates who are yeah. you know maybe in a like a newlywed situation, I'm they're starting to share burned. accounts with the with the wife. What you do is they ultimately they care about the big stuff, right? The credit card get paid off. There's no huge debt, so you pay the credit card off. You pay that down. The anxiety is released. Okay, we're at zero. We're good. Then you've got at least two weeks to the next time you get paid, maybe a month, depending on how diligent they are, to the next time the credit card is due. Then you slide in those other purchases the day after it's paid. Who is going through the history on your your TD Canada Trust app two weeks? Like You're not setting down the drop down, oh, let's go down a month and look at all of May's purchases. You just want to see how much money do I have? What do I owe? So you pay things off, anxiety, sides is is down then you get the 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 small little purchases that you need um and hope that you know like any market you write it out over time someone please one of the associates please photoshop donovan bennett's head on marty Byrne. like i need that i need to have uh i need to have something here like i need an ozark poster with your face i love that i love that so much uh just the, the nuances of the way you sneak purchases by your wife the the laundering in the household that you do oh uh I, i'm sure I, i'm sure we just bought the boy something i don't know what it is oh i think that was uh i can't remember what exactly that thousand dollars went to you're you're never going to be you're never going to be wise to it okay uh last dance uh seven and eight these were i i think that these were the most like just from my quick glances on social media the most the most popular episodes to date uh i'll, I'll just i'll just ask you where, where do you want to begin with this thing where, where do you want to start terry francona is in a documentary about michael jordan yeah i like, it, it really he, is funny that he was the manager right i have the same note written there 1500 plate appearances and he thought mj was going to the major leagues yeah i i i think that's something that you say to make sure that you get in the dock yeah but um the fact that and apparently they have a great relationship now and mj actually schooled francona about dealing with the media and dealing with big pressure because remember it terry francona is not world series winner at the time he's a guy who's hoping to get a break as like a bench boss in the major leagues, mm-hmm. never mind being, um, you know, a, a manager that's like on PTI every three months. So uh, I, I I thought the the baseball stuff was fascinating. I do remember it at the time, and I have seen the ESPN film, Jordan Rides the Bus, but to watch it again, I don't know if I can underscore this point. The best basketball player on the planet at the time, potentially ever, in his prime, after winning three championships and three finals MVPs, making more money than some entire teams, both on and off the court, says, okay, I'm actually going to play this sport that I haven't played in over a decade and try to be a major leaguer at that. Like, 14 imagine, years. 14 imagine years if, the layoff. Imagine if LeBron was like, you know what? NFL dispersal draft, holler. I was all, all state in high school. Even that actually would would be much more plausible. Like I actually think LeBron could figure out a way to play in the NFL right now because he was really good. And he probably, if he just played football, probably could have made it to the NFL. It's not like Jordan had offers from Vanderbilt and Tennessee and UCLA in baseball. He was like a kid who liked baseball and his dad liked baseball. So I, I, that that part of it to me um, was just crazy to watch again. Especially as a Raptors fan, I wish LeBron would have taken a year off basketball to go play in the NFL. Like, I wish that would have happened. Like, although maybe it doesn't result in the Raptors getting Kawhi Leonard. Who knows what the uh, you don't really want to do the butterfly effect here. But LeBron actually would have been super interesting to me if he decided, hey, you know what? I'm, I'm going to go and try to pursue this sport. I'm just going to see what I could have been like as an NFL tight end, because, yeah, I think he could have done it. I, I don't see any reason as to why LeBron James with even just one off season wouldn't have been able to step into the NBA or sorry to the NFL with with his hands his mind his just freak athletic ability and his track record as a high school football player but yeah to go from 17 to 31 and try to hit you know uh double a breaking balls as Jordan really could not do it is it's just fascinating I don't I'm with you though I don't think Jordan would have ever been a major leaguer we're seeing it with Tim Tebow who was this incredible athlete in his own right he's no Michael Jordan but 
He's one of the greatest college football players ever. And he was a high school basketball or sorry, a high school baseball star in his own right. And guess what he's doing? He's doing the same thing as Jordan a couple of years in where he's still having trouble with the breaking stuff and, and he's not able to get up to the major league level. It's just it's an incredibly, incredibly difficult thing to accomplish. And it is fascinating seeing it uh, even to this day, like him and that stuff. And I also love that he thinks it's a slight when they were like the Sports Illustrated cover where it, it takes a shot of him as a baseball player. And it's just the best. Did you see the Andrew Hawkins video that he put out of The Last Dance? No. Oh, you got to watch it. It's so funny, man. He does a parody with a couple of people about The Last Dance. And his parody for Jordan is basically every time they cut to him, he's like, yeah, I felt disrespected. Yeah, I felt disrespected by that. And I was offended by that. So I gave him 55. So I gave him 50. And that's exactly this, is that he's hitting 200 in AA baseball. And he's still offended by everybody who's taking shots at him as, uh, as a baseball player. I, I will say, though, I get why he was mad that they didn't even like talk to him before writing the story. But I sure. will say, though, would he have made the major leagues? I, I don't think so. Um, mm. And if he did, it, it would be probably based off of publicity because who even let's say he's a fourth outfielder, let's say. Right. Like that's his max potential. Why would you want a at that point, 32 year old fourth outfielder? Right. Like it's not like he's bringing his veteran presence because he's seen a lot of things in the game. Like he's totally he's he's selling White Sox uniforms. But I do actually think that him even competing at all is a crazy athletic feat. Of course. He, he had 30 stolen bases, which was tied for fifth in the Southern League that year, and 52 walks, which is tied for 10th. So 52 walks, it's like you have a you're a good eye, even though you just played another sport. I know it's like rookie ball, single A, double A, triple A, like people go in that order. No, 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 no. Like if you really pay attention, double A is where the real prospects are. A lot of good prospects never even make it to triple A. They go straight to the league or they're in triple A for a cup of coffee and then they're in the league. Triple A is often where guys are being stashed because they're they're not fully major leaguers and they might need to be up there to eat innings for for a minute or they're guys at the end of their careers is trying to maybe like show that they're healthy or show that they found something again like double a is where the real real prospects are and he again was not great but the fact that he even acquitted himself at all i think is a crazy athletic feat yeah i think it's like most things where the truth is somewhere in the middle which is it's not an embarrassment that what he did, he was actually unbelievably successful. You could not take out uh, most people and have them go from another sport and say, go play baseball. You haven't been playing since you were 17 years old and put together the numbers that Jordan did. I just think that it's either hyperbole that he would have either been a major league baseball player or that he stunk. And in reality, it's wow, man, that was a really pretty unbelievable accomplishment by him. But there was a ceiling as to where he could go. And he was probably closer to it than some people want to want to kind of i don't know mythologize uh is there any doubt in your mind left about the jordan suspension theory because i think that one of the things about this documentary is that this has really put it to bed i never believed it in the first place because of the old adage of how it takes uh, you know one person to keep a secret or two people can keep a secret if one of them is dead i just never thought that they'd be able to have a cover up that lasted this long but do you think that this officially closes the book on the Jordan suspension theory forever? So there's two theories in the Jordan mythos that he was suspended by David Stern, who was at the press conference when Jordan was, you know, retiring the first time. And Jordan has this wry smile on his face the entire time. And mm -hmm. uh, that he, he that that was a suspension uh, because of Jordan's gambling. And Jordan's gambling or gambling issues is the reason why his late father was murdered. I understand 100% why people have come to those conclusions because just nothing else makes much sense. Like, again, you're at the peak of your powers, you're highly paid, you want to go play baseball because you and your dad had a conversation about it, and you're you've got this these gambling issues. Your dad pulls over to the side of the road and takes a nap. Then all of a sudden, he's murdered, put in a creek, and no one can find him for two weeks. Like the, that, that's very random. But what to me is less plausible is that after a police investigation into his father's death, 
And after every journalist uh, in investigating Jordan at the height of his career with lots and lots of scrutiny, that nobody has uncovered a smoking gun that's like, okay, that makes sense. Like, so, so that to me is where it falls apart because it, I, I'm more apt to believe the frozen envelope and Patrick yeah. Ewing than I am Jordan was suspended at his peak, peak powers for not only himself but for the chicago bulls in the nba than uh, any other scenario that you can give me about his gambling yeah i i don't think there's any validity to it um i think that generally like man we have more you can go with the most harebrained uh conspiracy theories that there are and there's way more evidence that links those conspiracy theories to uh, like to what actually happened than in this one. I, again, I just, I don't think that you'd be able to bury it. You said it. There's too many good reporters in the NBA. David Stern would not have been able to keep that secret. Him and Michael Jordan, we're assuming that he took it to his grave, literally, and that it was solely the two of them, that everyone else that that knew that Jordan wouldn't have told someone that this insanely competitive guy who felt slighted all the time wouldn't have carried that against David Stern. Like it just, none of it, none of it lines up. I... I, I just think that, yeah, now if people continue to propagate that, you you kind of just end up looking a little, yeah, a little tinfoil hatty and, and a little foolish. Uh, let's do a rapid fire because we only, uh, we don't have much time here. Um, the Scott Burrell stuff was really hyped going into this series and the Jordan being an ass to his teammates. And, you know, you say you hear Will Purdue and you hear the story about him hitting Steve Kerr and there are moments of this, but I will say that I'm very surprised I do wonder what has been edited out of this thing and the things that Jordan really did not want them to put in this documentary because it's odd to me that he would not want this out for, you know, 20 years and for the footage of him to just be like, yeah, lightly making fun of Scott Burrell and kind of being on his case. None of the actual footage that we've seen to me is, wow, that's a really ugly look for Michael Jordan. Wow, this is this is tough to swallow. It just kind of seems pretty stock and standard like, especially coming off of Kobe Bryant and I, I don't know, it just, none of it seemed ugly to me. Did it to you? Something's got to be missing here. There's got to be something incomplete. I mean, there was an entire aside about the fact that Michael Jordan punched Steve Kerr in the face. I know, but it's all, again, it's people saying about it and it's a bad look for Michael that he punched Steve Kerr in the face, but I, maybe it's because we're Canadian and I, I grew up loving hockey, but Teammates getting in fights at practices happens. Like that's a thing that ends up happening. It's happened with Bill Guerin. It happened with Ray Emery. Like those are things that we've actually like seen video footage of. Like True. fighting a teammate in a practice is not a completely unprecedented thing in any professional sport. Dude, remember Steve Smith when he was with the Carolina Panthers? It was like, hey, every every training camp, who's Steve Smith going to punch in the mouth? Who is he going to fight? Because he's going to be John all day. Him and Sean Springs this year? Okay, cool. Fight it out, fellas. Like it, it's just, it's not that taboo but steve smith is not on the covers of wheaties boxes and he's not giving you hanes t-shirts and selling you gatorade and okay. mcdonald's happy meals i think the divorce is and the rub is all of his teammates were like he was a jerk he was an asshole we hated him when he left it was so much more fun around here but at the very same time in that moment he was the guy with the megawatt smile selling corporate america everything they wanted to hear and when jordan has to reconcile with that and he's asked did you think your teammates liked you the rest of america liked you but do you think your teammates mm -hmm. did he he like at the end of episode seven breaks down and yeah. brings you into his mentality of why he was the way he was and why he felt like he needs no need to apologize because all those teammates whether they liked him or not they all, they all got rings on their fingers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just, I, I thought the footage was going to be more damning that we were going to see of Michael Jordan. Like, we've heard audio of Kobe Bryant berating his teammates that was much, much worse than what we heard from Michael Jordan in this documentary. And I, I actually thought that, that when Scottie Pippen said we were sharing the basketball more and we did it as a collective uh, to describe that 94 season after he left, that that was actually like the sharpest criticism of the entire thing. It wasn't Will Purdue calling him an ass. It was that. It was that moment with Scotty talking about how much more fun they had and, and the way that they did it with Pippen. It's just to me, 
We knew all the, we've known this stuff since the Jordan rules that Jordan was harsh on his teammates and that he wasn't liked by his teammates and that Horace Grant leaked this information about him and that he had a difficult departure. We see it in Horace's celebration. Like a lot of that stuff was now public. So I get it if this documentary was released at the time of Michael not wanting that. It just, it seemed a little bit of an oddity that, yeah, we were all concerned about how Michael was going to look, how Michael was going to look. And it ends with him in tears. And I just find him to be this very sympathetic character in some ways, because listen, if you're a driven person, I think there are times where your frustration can boil over and that people can maybe not like you. You can rub people the wrong way and that your standard can be different than other people's. I've I've had experiences with this and like not to be like Michael, I'm way less talented. That's why I don't get as much. I haven't had as much wiggle room in my career. But just seeing him try to, you know, he breaks down because he's really just, you know, that at the core of this, what Michael truly did want is for everyone to get better. And that sometimes wondering if that was missed on people and that their feelings were hurt and they were incapable of seeing those things with his communication. And I'm not saying that everything he did was right. I just, I saw him as, oh man, I, I kind of feel bad a little bit for Mike. I, I felt for him in that moment. And I, I really expected to watch this documentary and come on the other side about feeling like, man, Michael went too far. Like Michael really did go too far. And really that's only the Steve Kerr incident. And we already knew about that. Like that's been public record for decades. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned Kobe and Kobe, you know, was just doing a Jordan impersonation for the right. part of his career. But Kobe's line says it all. Friends hang sometimes banners hang forever. And I think yeah. Jordan wasn't worried about being liked by his teammates. He was worried about, winning championships and if his teammates not liking him was the fuel for them to get to a level that he needed them to get to he mm -hmm. was okay with that ahmad rashad is he the best looking 70 year old person who's ever lived like i, I don't even understand it he's got great teeth his, his gums but like he's in good shape. shape like ahmad rashad has huge biceps still he's 70 years old he looks like he's like jack lalane 2.0 he doesn't look any different and again <laughs> yeah. Michael Ahmad Rashad, who um, you know was you know married to Felicia Rashad from the Cosby Show, I always was like, isn't she way older than him? Like Ahmad Rashad is super young, but uh, he's lived a life. He ties Michael Jordan's tie for him because yeah. he can't even do it when he's getting ready to go to his father's funeral. And in Ahmad Rashad's wedding party, and I'm not making this up. Google it, look it up. Photos online. His his wedding party consists of Bill Cosby and O.J. Simpson, Orenthal James Simpson, and he's Tough. Michael Jordan's uh, right hand man and his his media inside guy. I, I, a modern shot from you know NFL player to NBC basketball reporter somehow because those things don't link at all, but he made it work to the best friend of Jordan and it's been basically if you're black and you're a celebrity Ahmad's your guy for some reason he has lived a, a life like I want to see the 10 part series of Ahmad Rashad just spilling tea on everybody in uh, the industry in the late 80s and 90s man uh, you think he has wedding photos like or, like I don't think you can just go in Ahmad's place and grab the wedding album anymore like it's probably not just hanging around it's probably in a box uh, yeah, I don't think he digitized them. <laughs> yeah, he's not like posting them on Facebook. Hashtag throwback Thursday. Me, OJ, and Bill uh, on my favorite day of my life. I want to see Ahmad at the Walmart photo center <laughs> just printing off 25 copies of you know, the photos of him and Felicia in the meadow with OJ and and Bill Cosby. That That photo does not age well. No, it really doesn't. But he does. He absolutely ages well. Like he's just unbelievable looking. Um. I, I love that Jordan's mythos is involved in this idea that like he if you talk trash to him that he was going to destroy you like I think the whole point is that Michael was going to find anything to destroy you and so like all these results would have happened essentially without the input from other people I just I do love that so much of the doc is like and then this person said one thing it's like but we actually know they prove it that even when a guy didn't say anything he'll just make up that you said something like you're damned if you do you're damned if you don't it just happens that he's the best player on, on planet Earth and he was the most competitive person on planet Earth. I don't even know why we spend time sometimes on the stories of like someone invoking anger from him because he's just an angry dude. He was going to find anger. That's what fueled him. Yeah, George Carl does everything in his power to not set off Michael Jordan. He just says, I'm going to avoid him. I'm not going to give him anything 
to fuel his insane motivation. And Michael Jordan's like, oh, this guy's disrespecting me. He didn't talk to me. Yeah. I'm going to use that as motivation. <laughs> yeah. Uh, last thing. I'm sitting in my office underneath uh, two posters, two framed posters. One is of Gary Payton and one is of Sean Kemp. That Sonics team carries a place in my heart like no other team ever, ever could possibly could. And I stand with Gary Payton. He would have shut him down. He would have shut him down. Gary Payton was the perfect point guard. No one's ever had a better guard, point guard body. No one's ever been a better defender at the position. He stood with him. He talked trash. He went toe to toe. He shut down MJ in an elimination game. Nobody can take that away from you, Gary. Don't let the internet bring you down. I don't care about Madrashad stories about asking for MJ's shoes or who won the series. That's one of the best teams of all time. Sonics took two games. Gary Payton had a Gary Payton performance. That's what I take away from that series. No one can take that from me ever, 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 ever. I love you, Gary Payton. I mean, I'm not, I'm not sure how I should respond. I mean, I, I think that would be, that would fall in the category of both things can be true, uh, as you like to say. Yeah. Um, this was really fun. I really enjoyed these episodes. Um, you can catch me a little bit more on, uh, on Good Show. We have Will Perdue uh, coming up tomorrow. So that's a Tuesday. You can catch that podcast. And again, you can catch Donovan's Sports on Pause with Richard Deitch. Uh, for a lot smarter analysis than uh, you're generally going to get from me. So subscribe to both of those podcasts today. Leave a review. Share it on social media. We appreciate it all. And thank you to producer Michael for getting this thing done. Uh, We'll talk to you next week.